This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Be there for the adventure on NBC. You won't believe your eyes. How you doing? This is Mr. Smith, and tonight I fall in love. She's a weather girl on a local TV show, and I ask uh, Raymond to arrange a rendezvous with her. Mr. Smith, I have the honor of presenting Miss Veronica. Unfortunately, the uh, course of true love doesn't run too smooth. Especially when Bobo gets ideas of his own. An anthology about the bad, the short-lived, and the forgotten shows and events in television history. This is It Was a Thing on TV. Punisher! Control! Hey, before I change my mind! I give you Super Train! Episode 411. Submission number 002B, Mr. Smith Revisited. Mr. Smith originally aired on the NBC television network from September 23rd of 1983 through December 16th of 1983 for a total of 13 episodes. Three less than Uncle Croc's Block, The Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle Show, J.J. Starbuck, schooled and the number of aired episodes of salvage one plus many many other tv shows eventually i'll get around to figuring that out and i should note one of which went unaired but okay let's do it live here is the theme which we didn't have in the first episode of mr smith Now, guys, this shot of Bobo here in the opening sequence with the red hat and the tire around his neck or inflatable tube. I don't know what that is. It's black, it's round, it's donut shaped, and it's connected to a string that is definitely a tire. All right, let's just put it out here. Bobo as himself, that is the alternate cover art. And in case uh, Greg didn't really, he implied it, Bobo actually got a credit, at least in this episode, Bobo as himself. Bobo could have been a star. 
Imagine this show lasted longer than 13 weeks and we got a Bobo spinoff. Well, Greg, if Bobo got his own spinoff show, then Leonard Fry would have appeared more often on the second half of Match Game Hollywood Squares' life. Oh, yeah, after Gallagher smashed the watermelon. Imagine the what-if scenario we've created if Gallagher smashed the watermelon. There's so many what-ifs here. What if Gallagher smashed the watermelon? What if Bobo got his own TV show? What if people actually watched this? I'm so sad, people of 1983. You should have watched this. Well, again, and we talked about this the first time we talked about it, there were promos for Mr. Smith where he encouraged people to call a 900 number at 50 cents a crack. Hey, you want to laugh? Call me at 1-900-40-SMITH, and I'll tell you about my terrific new show, Mr. Smith. Cut. Is that sincere enough for you? And this hotline garnered 160,000 phone calls. So clearly somebody wanted to see it or a number of people wanted to see it. It'd be kind of funny if it was the same person calling 160,000 times, but that's conceivable given you know the ultimate ending to this show that it just petered out after 13 weeks and much promotion, not just on NBC, but also again, Leonard Fry from Mr. Smith on Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour. So I'm going to go back, and we're going to do this the way we did it in Episode 2. I have the 1983 TV Guide Fall Preview issue with the capsule about Mr. Smith, and this should paint a nice, beautiful picture about the show itself. The star of the series, Mr. Smith, has an IQ of 256, plays chess, and writes treatises on thermonuclear dynamics. Well, as Alfred Hitchcock might say, you can imagine how the producers had to scour Hollywood for an actor who could simulate intelligence. The result of their search is pictured at right. Mr. Smith is a talking orangutan who, in an ambitious attempt to make Washington even funnier than it is, works as a special consultant to the U.S. government, helping out with little problems like MX missile policy. With a premise like that, it's safe to assume we'll hear a monkey joke or two. And in parentheses, Mr. Smith works for Peanuts. As our hairy hero copes with his dumb but likable owner, Tommy, played by Tim Dunnigan, Tommy's little sister, Ellie, played by Laura Jacoby, a pretty psychologist, Tracy, and a punctilious liaison man, Raymond, played by Leonard Fry. Raymond is on the prickly side, but who wouldn't be playing second banana to an ape? So that's like the Cliff Notes version. Mr. Smith is an orangutan. He's got a big IQ and he's going to change Washington. Boy, haven't we heard that for decades. They're going to change Washington. And it's the same thing as uh, it ever was. Too many jokes. Well, art imitates life, if you will. No joke. And actually, I do have an article here regarding Mr. Smith from Tom Shales. Uh, it's called An Orangutan for All Seasons, This Mr. Smith. And this is from September 2nd of 1983. Ed Weinberger looked scruffy and disheveled, but then he had just spent the night chasing a monkey up and down the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. Actually, as he was quick to correct, it is not a monkey, but an orangutan, the star of the new NBC comedy series, Mr. Smith, 
that will air Friday nights on the network this fall. Like Stan Daniels, the other executive producer of Mr. Smith, Weinberger helped write and produce two of the best and most adult comedies in TV history, The Mary Tyler Moore Show and Taxi, as well as the short-lived but exceptionally witty ABC series, The Associates. What are these guys doing monkeying around with an orangutan? And a talking one at that, because the premise of the show is that Mr. Smith can speak, has an IQ of 256, and works on government research in the nation's capital. That last part isn't too hard to swallow. Is this another sign of how far TV has sunk or what? I know, it sounds like something Fred Silverman might order you to do, said Weinberger, whose yellow socks were falling down. But it's not. I thought it would be fun to do. I don't want it to be anything less than anything I've ever done. In fact, I want it to be more because of the eyebrows that are raised when people hear the premise. I haven't lost any sense of what I think good television should be, Weinberger said. Or good comedy, anyway. And that's good relationships, good stories, intelligent stuff that doesn't look down at its audience. Somebody should just run over me with a truck. No, that sounds like Valley Girl talk. Somebody should castigate me if I don't maintain these things. There's more to the article, but that's the uh, the general gist of it. So before we move on, why are we doing this now? The main reason is because, as I mentioned at the top of the show, this coming Saturday, the 23rd, is the 40th anniversary of Mr. Smith's debut. And I thought it would be appropriate if we actually held off on Mr. Smith revisited until the anniversary. Good timing and all. So here we are talking about Mr. Smith. And now that we've seen some of it, Greg played a little bit of a preview of an episode in the cold open. And as Greg mentioned, we now have the theme because somebody on YouTube, bless their heart in the last nine months or so uploaded, I believe seven episodes of Mr. Smith or at least parts of seven episodes. Cause I know that uh, taking a look at some episodes today, there's at least one which is incomplete was missing the open and the first few minutes but there are a number of complete episodes up there thank you to that person well we're going to talk about the people behind mr smith i think the first person we need to talk about is mr smith himself because the orangutan who played mr smith actually had a pretty long career a pretty popular career he went by the name cj the orangutan and among his credits, not even joking, CJ the Orangutan's IMDb has known for, like you'd see uh, for an actor or an actress best known for, an Orangutan has a best known for. He was on an episode of The Love Boat, actually in 1986, so three years after this. An episode of TJ Hooker, The Fall Guy, Hill Street Blues, Tarzan the Ape Man from 1981, but maybe most popularly, the Clint Eastwood movie, Any Which Way You Can, back in 1980. He was Clyde. I think that the critic made fun of uh, Clyde. Definitely made fun of uh, Any Which Way You Can. So the critic sort of had a kind of sort of tribute to Mr. Smith or to C.J. the orangutan. Now, hold on a second. I got a funny story about 
the whole any which way but was any which way you can't think. So related to this, a studio executive was reading Bob Zemeckis and Bob Gale's script for Back to the Future back in the early 80s. And Doc Brown's pet dog Einstein was actually originally like a chimp. And the executive said, you should change it to a dog because any movie that has a chimp does not make money. And Zemeckis and Gale answered back, but what about any which way but loose? The executive said, that was an orangutan, not a chimp. And playing the voice of Mr. Smith, and we mentioned this person just a few minutes ago in that Tom Shales interview, is Ed Weinberger. Renowned, primarily as a producer and a writer. Gosh, where could we start with uh, what he's done outside of Mr. Smith? Wrote many episodes of Taxi, wrote a number of episodes of the Mary Tyler Moore Show, was the writer and creator of the Mr. Black Show, the one that premiered in 1984. You know who we're talking about. But his name in the 80s and 70s was everywhere. Amen. He created Amen. We talked about him previously because he created Mr. President. So needless to say, a great entity, if you will. He's done many successful things. Maybe not in front of the camera. Well, I mean, he wasn't really in front of the camera here, per se. He was a voice, but still a very well-known name giving a voice to Mr. Smith. You know who was almost the voice of Mr. Smith? Wallace Shawn. Really? Yeah. Yes! From Clueless and The Princess Bride. Now, wait a second. I'm sorry. Wallace Shawn as Mr. Smith? I can picture it in my head. Well, so can I, and I can hear that voice in my head. I don't know. I mean, that is intriguing. I can buy it, but also when I hear Wallace Shawn, the first thing that comes to my mind is Bertram, Stewie Griffin's twin brother on that one episode of Family Guy, and that voice almost works perfectly for Mr. Smith to a point. I, I'm really thinking that might work. Just, I'm sorry, Ed Weinberger's voice for Mr. Smith here is kind of blasé. Maybe it's just me. It sounds disinterested. According to IMDb, Wallace Shaw was originally set to voice to Mr. Smith, and he changed his mind when he realized that if he died during production, his last project would be that of a talking orangutan. <laughs> Wait, that's the rationale why he didn't take this job? Because his last role would have been as a talking orangutan? I mean, don't get me wrong. Absolute legend when it comes to the Princess Bride. One of the great voices, one of the great characters in movie and television. And he was concerned that if he died, which he wouldn't have been that old at the time, that his legacy would be the voice for an orangutan. I don't know. I'm not buying that. But also at the same time, you know, good thing he didn't take it because, you know, if this actually lasted a while, he might not have been in The Princess Bride. Boy, that's optimistic, me thinking that Mr. Smith could have lasted four years, but just throwing that out there. Hold on. I have a great idea. What if 
Andre the Giant voice, Mr. Smith. The silence for the last 10 seconds has been very deafening. Mr. Smith voiced by Andre the Giant. Hey, Bobo, anybody want a peanut? I'm just happy to say that Wallace Shawn is not dead as of this recording. No, thank heavens. Like I said, he's a treasure. Absolutely. I'm now trying to get Andre the Giant voicing Mr. Smith out of my head. Thank you, Greg. Let's remember, I'm the son of the guy that bought the Rams uniforms in 2018. Looked like it. They were in a commercial for Honey Nut Cheerios. Like father, like son. Oh, my gosh. All right, let's get away from that. Let's actually get to the human cast members. Starting off with Raymond Holyoke. We talked about him earlier. Leonard Fry. I would say known more for his stage work than his television acting or even movie acting. He did win an Oscar for uh, his portrayal of Motel in Fiddler on the Roof in 1971. And among other shows that he was on, uh, he was on Best of the West. I know that's on the list uh, in 1981-82. Oh my gosh, what would have happened if Best of the West actually got more than like two seasons? We wouldn't have Leonard Fry on Mr. Smith. And also, we wouldn't have Mino Pucci on Voyagers. Oh my gosh, this is the whole butterfly effect. If one or two dominoes goes a different way, television is just changed forever. And if I'm not mistaken, we would also not have Joel Higgins on Silver Spoons. That's right, he was on that show. That would just be a nightmare scenario, guys. But what if Salvage 1 lasted more than those 16 aired episodes? then you know what? You wouldn't even be talking about Joel Higgins on Silver Spoons or Best of the West. He'd be on Salvage One trying to find Moon Junk. Or not, because remember, they only traveled to space, what, twice? Three times? And they didn't get any Moon Junk, right. No. And where are you going to keep the Moon Junk? Like you said, you should have shot the Moon Junk into the sun. Problem solved. You know what they should have done? I got an idea. They should have, like, Katamari Damacy style. They should have given it to, like, some high overlord and had, like, a ball of junk in this guy's hand, and he just shoots it to outer space and creates a new planet. You'd have to be pretty drunk first. Oh, wait, this is the king of the cosmos. He's already pretty drunk. Katamari Damacy, one of the best games ever. Don't fight me on this. But about uh, Leonard Fry, he was also, and I know this is on the list, he was on the show Mr. Sunshine. We got to cover that one day. The 1986 Mr. Sunshine, not the Matthew Perry Mr. Sunshine. No, no, the 1986 one, correct. The one where he played a professor. Playing Tommy, who we said was the owner of Mr. Smith. Yeah, I could believe it, but... If you watch the episodes, it seems like Leonard Fry is more the owner than Tommy Atwood, essentially, is Tim Dunnigan. Tim Dunnigan, this isn't a good sign. Tim Dunnigan, among his known four things, Mr. Smith is listed. So you know what that tells me? He didn't have that much of a career. Well, hold on. He was the original face in the pilot for the A-Team. 
but we did talk about him before because we talked about him in uh captain power right chico captain power and the soldiers of the future yes he that's was right captain power he was captain power but now mike i know you missed our whole ramble but we found out that when they planned to remake the show, that it was a giant scam on par with the Intellivision and Nico. And you missed our whole preamble, Mike, about how Chico was at one of those Tommy Tower Rico video games live things. And he this was before, the, in my defense, this was before I knew how big of a scumbag he was. Oh, yeah, definitely. And let's remember, you did get tickets free from Reward the Fan, so you didn't pay money for that. Rest in peace, Reward the Fan. Now, Chico saw the Intellivision Miko and said to himself, what the f*** is this? That's exactly what I said. I don't remember this. Was I uh, in a hospital? No, I think you had a nosebleed or something. You missed that part. We may have to do a Captain Power revisit. No, no, we're fine. No, 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 don't, don't, no, no. We don't need to revisit no, no, no. We could be doing revisited episodes for the next 400 shows. No, no. Let's... We're never touching that again. Yeah, some things are best left untouched. And remember, he was recast because he looked too young to be a Vietnam War veteran. True story. So he ended up on Mr. Smith instead. Playing the little sister Ellie Atwood is Laura Jacoby. And again, just like Tim Dunnigan on the IMDb known for is Mr. Smith. So again, that tells me she didn't have much of a career. And actually, just taking a look at her uh, IMDb really fast. She was on one episode of many things. Uh, actually, two episodes of uh, Punky Brewster. Oh, but taking a look here. Uh, I see her on TJ Hooker, Hotel, Helltown, Future Installment, Highway to Heaven, Night Court, Family Ties, The Magical World of Disney, CBS Story Break, Mr. Belvedere, and Parker Lewis Can't Lose. So she's been around, if you will. By the way, the episode of uh, A Magical World for Greg's edification, Little Spies. With Mickey Rooney and Robert Costanzo, and a young Candace Cameron Bure, who we don't talk about. We talked about the psychologist earlier in the TV Guide capsule, and we have a name for her. It's Dr. Judy Tyson, played by Terry Garber. Oh, thank heavens, I'm looking at the IMDb. She's not given credit as known for Mr. Smith. Ha. Oh, thank God. It wasn't. Yeah, she was known, however, for As the World Turns, 120 episodes from 2005 to 2010, and Leslie Carrington on Dynasty in the 1987-88 seasons. So that would be what? Second to last season of Dynasty? Or second to last and final season of Dynasty? Did it end like around 89? I think so. Yes, it did end in 89. Okay, so she was probably on like season seven and eight or eight and nine, something like that. She was also on 98 later episodes of Santa Barbara, the 1991-1992 years. So that would be pretty late in Santa Barbara's run. That would have been like, again, eighth season, ninth season. And 
playing Dr. Klein was Stuart Margolin. Stuart Margolin, besides Mr. Smith, well known for 37 episodes of the Rockford Files. He was also in the Westworld sequel, Future World, the one that we pretend does not exist. You know who else was in Future World, Chico? Alan Ludden and Betty White. And one more credit I want to mention for him, just because I love saying this. He was on a mind-blowing 29 episodes of the original Love American Style. Better than the new Love American Style, but we still think the new Love American Style is absolutely okay. Okay. It's all right. Nothing to write home about. So those are your particulars who show up in most of the shows. Now we can actually get into uh, an episode guide of shows that we've seen partially uh, to some extent. So we're not just going blind here. We've seen all these shows or a number of these shows. And the first one is called Welcome to Washington Part 1. Boy, I wonder what that's about. Maybe Mr. Smith is going to Washington? I don't know. An accident turns an orangutan into an intelligent, talking employee of a Washington Research Institute where he is aided by a personal secretary. So this is like the Genesis episode, or as Chico would say, the expository episode, sort of setting all the background. And you kind of see it in the opening of the show, because Mr. Smith is crawling around the laboratory. He gets like this potion, and he's like, oh, I'm going to drink this potion. And then he all of a sudden becomes the smartest ape in mankind. Or is it ape kind? Whatever. Let's just say Mr. Smith becomes super smart now and he can talk. We do have at least one name in this episode. Unfortunately, no character name, but as a person we've talked about, Edward Winter. He played Colonel Flagg and Captain Halloran on seven episodes of MASH. He also played Mr. Crawford on Herman's Head. We've talked about him. Uh, Oh, I see where we talked about him, actually. He played Mr. Burke on an episode of Saved by the Bell, The College Years. Yep, he was uh, married to Gloria Loring, Robin Thicke's mama. He was also on an episode of Misfits of Science, another place we talked about him. I thought we talked about him more recently than that. Oh, now I see where we talked about him. He played Buck Fulton on two episodes of Salvage One. I knew we talked about him in the not-so-distant uh, past. Hey, another Salvage One reference. Let's go for the record. Also in this episode, again, no character name, is Philip Sterling. Among the roles that he had, he was on 21 episodes of the show Sisters as Truman Ventner. Guys, hold up. I made a discovery about Terry Gorber just now. She was in an episode in 1990 of Jake and the Fat Man. Was that the episode where he told people that uh, he can't have cheese that does something to him? I'm pretty sure it was. But interestingly enough, Terry Gerber did not appear in the prequel to Jake and the Fat Man, Fat Man 66. See, these are jokes that we didn't have four years ago. Now we can play all our cards. We just had one episode to work off of. Now we got 410 to work off of. And 410 episodes worth of running gags. 
oh boy, I'm waiting for us to hit upon somebody in this show that was on wings. I wonder what's going to happen. Greg's going to lose it, obviously. Don't spoil it for the people. Jeez. <laughs> and then the second episode, which aired on the same night, presumably as a one-hour premiere episode, is Welcome to Washington Part 2. Nothing really different uh, about uh, Part 2. No new people as guest stars. So we're going to hop over to Episode 3. And oh, this was... Need- yeah, I think I was gonna say I think we need to buckle down Greg here because I'm sure he's gonna have stuff to say. And it is called Mr. Smith Finds His Brother. Get your Bobo stuff ready, Greg. Mr. Smith takes to the gambling tables of Las Vegas to raise enough money to buy the freedom of his brother Bobo, who is performing in a CD nightclub. Greg, take it away. The floor is yours. Okay, so Wonder if Ryan Tim Hannigan and Mr. Smith's plan to rescue Bobo is. They're going to have Wonder if Ryan Gamble because they figure we're going to play blackjack to raise $100,000 to rescue Bobo and free him from the captors. So they use Mr. Smith's intelligence because he knows how to you know, count cards. So what they have, they have this elaborate system where Mr. Smith will, like, pat his head to, like, hit or, like, tap his shoulders to stand or whatever. It's like some elaborate system they have set up. So, okay. So, it's Leonard Fry, Tim Dunnigan, and Mr. Smith at the table. And while Leonard Fry's winning all this money in blackjack, which attracts this whole big crowd, they're giving drinks to Mr. Smith. And he's drinking all the drinks like, oh, man, these are some good drinks. Like, hmm, you know, what, gonna sip this alcoholic drink down and whatever. So now it's down to, like, the final hand or whatever. So, Leonard Fry is at 18. He's considering standing, just, that's it. And That's what the book says to do. Yeah, that's the smart odds, to stand. But, they want to get Mr. Smith's advice. And Mr. Smith's knocked out. <laughs> so they, they keep... He's knocked out because he's drunk, you see. So they try to keep waking him up, waking him up. And Mr. Smith wakes up and he's like, oh. And it's like, oh, hit me. <laughs> and he gets a three. You're not going to believe this. He gets a three, giving him 21, giving them the $100,000 to rescue Bobo. And Mr. Smith says, I wasn't raising my hand to hit. I was tired. <laughs> <laughs> he was drunk as hell, man. Of course he was. And how did this last just 13 episodes? <laughs> In a perfect world, this and Scorch would have had seven seasons in a movie. We weren't ready. I would love a Mr. Smith movie. I'm sorry. I'm going to see that movie at least ten times. But hey, believe it or not, there's actually a name in this episode. And Greg's going to appreciate this. Playing Morton. Going to assume one of the handlers of uh, Bobo at this seedy nightclub is Peter Van Norden. There's one credit I want to mention, and Greg's going to love it. And he knows exactly who this is once I tell him this. 
He was John Sununu in the Naked Gun Two and a Half, The Smell of Fear. <laughs> That's right, because remember, John Sununu was George H. W. Bush's chief of staff at the time. And I think he had like a semi-integral role in the Naked Gun Two and a Half, communicating with George H. W. Bush uh, in the movie. I don't remember exactly. It's been a long time since I've seen Naked Gun Two and a Half, but I do remember the John Sununu character playing a semi-significant role in the movie. Uh, one of my favorite moments in Naked Gun Two and a Half was remember Norbert was stuck under the bus that went to Detroit, and then. Later in the movie, Frank calls. He's like, "What's Norberg doing in Detroit?" I need to put that on my need to watch list. It's been a long time since I've seen Naked Gun Two and a Half. So many jokes. All right, while you try to get those jokes out of your system, we're going to go to episode four called "Mr. Smith Operates." And actually, in the opening credit sequence, you see Mr. Smith washing his hands like a surgeon, along with other surgeons. Other human surgeons, let's clarify, uh, you know, getting his hands all soaked up, trying to get as germ-free as possible. I don't know if I want a necessarily very hairy orangutan doing surgery on me. Just saying. Mr. Smith offers his assistance during a delicate brain operation on a renowned space scientist. So, okay, in this episode, now I watched this episode. So Ellie, who is the sister of Tommy, has like an appendectomy. She has to get her appendix taken out. So Mr. Smith, I guess, is going to perform the surgery, but first he's got to watch like a surgery being performed because he's an orangutan. He's never done a surgery before in his life, even though he's super smart. So they got to do this big surgery on this scientist guy, and he's going to watch it and have an idea about how the surgery is done. And wacky shenanigans happen. Hilarity ensues. I was going to say, where's hilarity ensues? Wacky shenanigans happen? Is that the new hilarity ensues for the second 400 episodes? I guess that's going to be our new thing for the second 400 episodes. Wacky shenanigans happen. Well, let's see what wacky shenanigans happen in episode five. Oh shenanigans are going to happen i see the name of the episode and i've seen this mr smith rescues bobo oh yes this is a great episode mr smith tries to rescue his brother bobo who is mistakenly kidnapped by foreign agents <laughs> greg just spill your guts okay so tommy mr smith have to sneak mr smith out while Leonard Fry's sleeping. And they plan to switch Bobo with Mr. Smith. And this is in the preview for the episode. You can watch it on YouTube. You can watch the whole thing. And you can watch the cold open leading up to the intro. Leonard Fry asks Tommy, how did you persuade the kidnappers to rescue Bobo? I just gave him Mr. Smith. And Leonard Fry looks like, oh. He just gave him Mr. Smith. Yeah. But hold on. The kidnapper says to Mr. Smith, no human can escape. But remember, Mr. Smith is not a human. So guess what he does? He escapes by climbing. 
yes, I remember that episode and just the entire like escape sequence. Very athletic for an orangutan. Going on to episode six. This is another one that's on YouTube. This person who uh, uploaded these episodes to YouTube apparently got like a block of, I'm guessing, four or five episodes in a row. Because I remember this one is on YouTube too. Mr. Smith falls in love. Mr. Smith falls for a female orangutan who gives TV weather forecasts but she in turn falls for Bobo. Wait, that was the episode that you previewed at the cold open. That's right. We did. Yeah. No wonder it sounded familiar. So Mr. Smith's in love with this orangutan that does the weather. And like, it's amazing. He's trying to court this orangutan. It's like, Oh, she's not attracted. How do I get her attracted to me? Oh, I got an idea. I'll take her to Bobo's room. And let's hear what type of adventures happen between Mr. Smith and the weather orangutan in Bobo's room. Right this way, Mr. Monica. That's it. Just follow me. Come on. That's that's it. Just uh, I'm taking you to a great place. You're going to love it. You're going to love this room, Miss Veronica. Come on. That's it. Up the stairs. Okay, now, let's see what she thinks of this. Now we're talking, right? See, you can climb, you climb all over it. Huh? Isn't this, uh, isn't this, uh, terrific? Look, look at this. Look, you can do this, you can swing, it's a real tree. It's a tree, only it's inside. Huh? What do you say? You can climb, look, isn't this great? Wee! Come on up. Come on, why don't you come up here with me, Miss Veronica, huh? Wee! Come on, look what you can do. Look at this. You can do this. Remember to yeah, have. Boy, is this terrific. Come on, Miss Veronica. You want to come up here? You want to come up here with me? Wee! Bobo, will you get out of here? Freeze the crowd, Bobo. Bobo, why don't you look? Why don't you go downstairs? Tommy will give you some ice cream, uh, cake, candy, whatever you want. Look, Miss Veronica. Miss Veronica. Hey, look at that. Come here, come on. This will be great. Come on, Miss Veronica. Why don't you come up here? Huh? Look, look at this. See, you go from uh, limbs. It's just like a tree. Just because it's inside doesn't mean it's not a tree. You can swing. Huh? Come on, Miss Veronica. Here, look. See this? What do you think of this? King of the hill. Miss Veronica, where are you going? Bobo, let me have the tree for about two hours. Bobo, listen to me, you're my brother. Bobo, Miss Veronica, Bobo. Okay, I think we need to paint a little picture there as to uh, why Miss Veronica and Bobo were kissing at the end. You could hear that. The audio may not have been terribly good there. So 
when Bobo entered the room, Bobo and Miss Veronica shared her lollipop, big lollipop, and they were both going at it. And then they walked over to like the futon or whatever was in Bobo's room. Not really a bed. I think it was a futon. And they both sat down on it and they started kissing. So I guess you could say Bobo took Miss Veronica to the candy shop and let the lollipop. First time ever on this podcast we mentioned the rap song Candy Shop. And the last. So yeah, Mr. Smith had good intentions, but got his heart broken. He wanted to play on the, the tree that was in Mr. Bobo's room, and Veronica wanted nothing to do with it. She wanted, oh God, I'm going to go to hell for this. She wanted Bobo to suck her lollipop. After hearing about Bobo stealing Mr. Smith's lady, I think it's a good time to take a little commercial break. Here are some error-appropriate commercials. We'll be back momentarily. Mr. Smith will be right back. I love Christina's eyes, hair, lips. Oh, I love kissing. I could kiss Bob 24 hours a day. <laughs> we asked Christina and Bob what they loved most about each other and close up with fluoride. I love Bob and I like close up. It tastes cool and fresh. I want clean, fresh bed for myself and for Christina. Everyone wants white teeth. Close-Up makes my teeth as wide as possible. Close-Up has everything I want. Fluoride, fresh breath, and whiteness. Close-Up toothpaste with fluoride. Don't you owe it to each other? And now, an announcement that can't wait. We have something to tell you. We can't keep it a secret any longer. See, from the very beginning, I knew he was a winner. I felt the same way. So now it's time for everybody in the world to know. Burger King has switched to Pepsi. Burger King and Pepsi. Two winning tastes. Together at last together <laughs> are you missing something in your treatment of sinus introducing new maximum strength sinutab with maximum decongestant to let you breathe again maximum antihistamine to dry up runny nose watery eyes maximum non-aspirin pain reliever for throbbing headache new maximum strength sinutab you can't buy a stronger, more complete sinus remedy without a prescription. New Maximum Strength Sinutab. It's the most you can do for your sinuses. Next, when Jennifer belts a bully, Joey takes all the credit. This could be the new Joey. And guess who gives him the ride of his life? It ain't Julie Andrews. Jennifer slept here. Then George Burns is back as God in the hit comedy that'll make you a believer. Oh God, book two, next on NBC. Be there. Hey gang, it's a night game. Memphis State Tigers are going out to Port Pavilion to take on UCLA. Two All-Americans, Keith Lee against Kenny Fields, Saturday night. That will take us to episode seven, Mr. Smith Gets Physical. This is another episode that is on YouTube. And very timely, too. Let's get physical, physical. The Institute puts Mr. Smith on a strict diet and physical fitness regime. Well, I mean, that's sort of like what the title of the episode says. Mr. Smith gets physical. So, yeah, he's getting healthier. In this episode playing Alvin, who I'm going to presume is one of the friends of the kids of Tommy or Ellie, given his age, 
is Jeremy Schoenberg. The reason I bring him up, he hasn't done much, but in numerous Charlie Brown, Snoopy, Peanuts movies and TV shows, he voiced Linus Van Pelt. He voiced Linus. Is this goodbye, Charlie Brown? What have we learned, Charlie Brown? It's Flash Beagle, Charlie Brown. Oh, speaking of timely references to 1983, it's Flash Beagle, Charlie Brown. Snoopy's getting married, Charlie Brown. 17 episodes of the Charlie Brown and Snoopy show. And it's Three Strikes, Charlie Brown. So basically, if you're a person my age, he was the Linus of your childhood. Going on to episode eight, which is titled, Goodbye, Mr. Smith. Mr. Smith's superior intelligence begins to dwindle when he catches a cold. So Mr. Smith is like slowly losing his memory and everyone's like, oh man, Mr. Smith, he's going to be an ordinary ape again. Oh man, because Mr. Smith has like this fever, right? So they just confirm that Bobo has like a fever later on in the episode too. So what they discover is... Mr. Smith did not read the proper directions on the pill for his, like, cough or flu or whatever. He was directed to take one pill every eight hours. Mr. Smith thought he was supposed to take eight pills every hour, which is why he was losing his memory. Oh, Mr. Smith. You know, you have an almost 300 IQ, Mr. Smith, but you can't properly read a diagnosis on a bottle in 1983. Well, they were probably still using typewriters on those prescriptions. Also, who never said he didn't have, like, dyslexia or something, where he just rearranged the numbers? Or not necessarily dyslexia, but dyscalculia. That's the numeric version of dyslexia. Not only is this show entertaining, but we're also occasionally educational. You're welcome, everybody. There's no guest stars of note in that episode, so we're going to go to episode 9, which is titled, Mr. Smith Loses a Friend. The will of a deceased colleague requests that Mr. Smith deliver the eulogy at his funeral. And, I'm sorry, given it's Mr. Smith and maybe if Bobo's involved, they're putting the fun back in funeral. But the funny part about this, because I watched this episode Oh, this is on YouTube? Yes! Here's the funny part again. Mr. Smith, the guy he worked with, his wife had no idea the person he worked with was an orangutan. So they tried to slowly break it down. Mr. Smith, who's speaking at his funeral, was an orangutan. And when she speaks, Mr. Smith. I'm guessing weird shenanigans ensue. Let's listen to what happens. Is there anything I can get you? A glass of water, perhaps? Why is it, I wonder, we always offer someone in distress a glass of water? As you wish. So. <clears throat> I uh, understand Professor Trumbull had certain specific wishes regarding his funeral. Oh, yes. He wanted it to be here at the Institute Chapel. And it was his specific wish that your Mr. Smith deliver the eulogy. That was all. Hmm. I see. Yes. Well... For myself, 
I ask only that it be dignified, Mr. Holyoke. Yes. The old-fashioned notion of the funeral as spectacle, extravaganza, uh, frankly, I've always found that vulgar. Tacky, tacky, tacky. All I want is quiet, good taste. Aha. Uh -huh. Of course, taste is totally subjective. What one person finds vulgar... I'm just hoping that your Mr. Smith will set the proper tone. He'll set a tone. That's one thing Mr. Smith does. Everyone's agreed on that. He sets a tone. Then I don't see there's anything more to be discussed. Right, right. Uh, listen, got a minute? I was just thinking, maybe I should show you a picture of Mr. Smith. A picture? I don't need to see a picture of him, Mr. Holyoke. We are talking about the same Mr. Smith my husband specified, I trust. Oh, yes, absolutely. There's no danger of mistaking him. For another Mr. Smith, I mean. All right, then. Maybe I should describe him. Very well, Mr. Holyoke. Describe him to me. What does he look like? Well, he's quite hairy. To begin with, rather hairy. My late husband had a beard also. That's probably why they were good friends. They had so much in common. Less than you think, I think. Mr. Holyoke, this is ridiculous. This is tiring. This is unnecessary. And this is Mr. Smith. <laughs> Mike, can you describe what the... Of he's got his arms crossed he's wearing a suit his arms are like not normally crossed it's like he's grabbing the elbow of one arm with his other hand for both his left and right elbows but it's like really tight and i'm sorry that my eyes are focused on his slacks because he's not standing at a normal angle He's not standing straight up. He's sort of like, I don't know if he's trying to do a split there or what. He looks like he's posing for an early 90s rap album. <laughs> so he just beat the trend by about eight years. TJ, Mr. Smith in the house. So I'm sure at the funeral, weird shenanigans did happen when Mr. Smith gave the eulogy. That's going to take us to episode 10 which is called Mr. Smith Plays Cyrano. Tommy asks Mr. Smith for courtship advice after falling for a lovely doctor. Wait. Tommy is dating a doctor? How old is Tommy in this? Tim Dunnigan was born in 55, so he'd be about 28 at this point. So that makes sense. I just thought... The young handler, when uh, I read the description earlier, he was a young kid. No, he's uh, actually a grown adult in this uh, series. But also remember, too young to play a Vietnam veteran. Yeah, you're not really wrong there. Playing the doctor that Tommy was smitten with is Jane Badler. Jane Badler, among other things, was Miss New Hampshire back in the 70s, and she competed in the Miss America pageant in 1972. Oh! But also she played Diana on V, the original miniseries, and V, the TV series. 
That's right. Oh, spoiler. They're lizards. Great. Now I have no reason to watch a 40-year-old miniseries. But also, again, to make it timely, V was a very big thing in 1984-85. So she was a thing back in the early to mid-80s. We're going to go to episode 11, which is titled, Mr. Smith Makes a Commercial. Mr. Smith appears in a TV commercial to get his dim-witted brother Bobo out of a scrape. Bobo! Bobo, what are you doing? I'm surprised that there's actually a functional relationship between Mr. Smith and Bobo after Bobo stole Miss Veronica, the weather orangutan, from Mr. Smith a number of episodes ago. They must have short-term memories, those orangutans. And that episode's not on YouTube, so we can't really comment about what happened. But we can comment about who played Bud on this episode, eventual Hall of Famer, because we've talked about him plenty, including in the not-so-distant past, Luis Avalos. Oh, yes. Where could we start? We have said so many things about him. I mean, we could start at the electric company. That's a good place to start. But... We talked about him on Condo. We've talked about him on E slash R, the comedy. Many episodes. Episode 12 is called Mr. Smith Goes Public. A Washington reporter uncovers the truth about Mr. Smith. What truths are there to put out there? He's an orangutan? He's smarter than 99.999% of the government? What's being exposed here? In this episode, we have two humongous names. The first one playing Dr. Breckenridge in this episode is Don Amici. I don't think we need to say who Don Amici is. He is a Hollywood legend. Probably best known for Cocoon, which would have been two years later. But he did so much stuff in a very long career. The other name a much more recent Hollywood superstar. This character does not have a name, but going to guess again, he's a friend of Ellie's, given his age. He was credited as Leaf Phoenix, but you know him better as Joaquin Phoenix. That's right. The Joker himself. Among other things, the Joker... In Gladiator, obviously, we all know who he is. So we have Hollywood royalty from long ago, and we have Hollywood royalty from the last 20 years or so, or even less. And that's going to take us to the final episode, which this is probably the unaired episode because I could not find anything about it. And actually, no air date is given on IMDb. It's called Mr. Smith Goes to Court. So we got to assume what this episode was about. Maybe Mr. Smith had some unpaid parking tickets and he had to go to court. Oh, I had a better one. I, I thought he went to court. His lawyer was Tim Misney. And after uh, they settled the case, you had Doug Llewellyn saying, what did you think about the judge's verdict? Well, it's timely. 1983, People's Court. It works. Okay, maybe it doesn't work. But that's the show. I have the ratings for just about every week, and it's not good. 
for the first week, there were 56 shows. And this came in at 46th. Ahead of some big names, though. Ahead of Different Strokes. Ahead of Silver Spoons. Ahead of NCAA football in primetime. Miami versus Notre Dame. So this would have been the national championship season for Miami. That would have been with, would that have been Jim Kelly at the helm? No, Bernie. Bernie was the quarterback. Bernie? Oh, I thought Bernie was uh, a year or two later. Okay. Yeah, Jim Kelly would have gotten drafted by the Bills and went to the USFL with the Gamblers. Okay. Uh, Also, uh, again, another more popular show that uh, did worse in the ratings, Archie Bunker's Place, which by this point, I'm guessing this is a rerun because it was gone in 83. So this may have been like literally the last episode of Archie Bunker's Place on CBS. If we look at future weeks, the following week, 65 shows that came in 52nd, uh, ahead of Manimal. Wow! And Ripley's Believe It or Not. Believe it or not. We got the two shows from 1983 Greg can do. He could do the Manimal RAR, and he could do the Ripley's Believe It or Not Jack Palance show mention. Hold on. I wonder if Mr. Smith had any coin. It was by Menon. All the Jack Palance jokes. All right, I'm waiting for something about uh, City Slickers now. Or maybe Mr. Smith did a one-handed push-up at some point. Oh, like he did at the Oscars. Right. That was a great moment. But just taking a look at the ratings overall, it was in the bottom 20% the entire season. Looking at the week of October 10th to the 16th, out of 66 shows, it ranked 58th. Manimal was 59th, and actually a previous installment, the Coneheads animated special, was second to last that week. And uh, again, future weeks, 59th out of 70 shows, 65th out of 68 shows. That's not good, 65th out of 68. 63rd out of 67 shows, 60th out of 64 shows. So now we're talking about lowest 10%. So now we know why this has gone in 13 weeks. 64th out of 65 shows. And the only show that did worse is something we talked about back on the original episode that just stunk up the joint in 1983 for NBC. First Camera, which was like the updated name for the TV version of Monitor. Yeah, the ratings here are absolutely just pitiful. And it's amazing because this show was heavily hyped out the wazoo. And we mentioned in the original episode how we compared it like 28 years later to Whitney and how NBC like hyped the hell out of that. And This show is much better than Whitney now that we've seen it. I think it's just a victim of bad scheduling. I do have the ratings for the last week. Just as a final sort of death blow. 63rd out of 65 shows. 64th being the aforementioned first camera. 65th being an ABC News special report, The Pope and His Vatican. 
So yeah, I think the Friday night lineup killed it. But also, if we do take a look at the listings, there is a little bit more that killed it too, like the competition, because we're talking about a Friday in 1983. And I think we've covered this enough. We talked about it when we did uh, Jennifer Slept Here Revisited about what aired on Friday nights, and it was not good. For the premiere episode on ABC, you had Benson in the first half hour, and this would have been like season five of Benson, I believe. And you had Webster, and this would have been the first or second season of Webster. But on CBS, and we talked about this in the Jennifer Slept Here episode, you had the Dukes of Hazard, and this would have been the return of Bowen Luke Duke because they settled their contract dispute. No more Coy and Vance. So, yeah, people are watching Bowen Luke Duke return and not those fake Dukes boys. Yeah, screw the Duke boys. The fake Duke boys. The fake yeah. Duke boys, yeah. So I think the writing was on the wall from the beginning. People are going to watch Benson. People love Robert Guillaume. People love Dukes of Hazard, Catherine Bach, and Tom Wopat and John Schneider. Mr. Smith, as adorable as he is, as funny as this was at times, as good as Leonard Fry was, just didn't stand a chance. And unfortunately for that reason, that's why Mr. Smith, for a second time, was just a thing on TV. Yeah, but at least we got Mr. Smith and Leonard Fry at the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade in 83. And we got more than enough Leonard Fry on Match Game Hollywood Squares in not just 1983, but 1984 when he wasn't credited with being on Mr. Smith. And actually, I believe that was actually sort of the genesis as to why we covered this show was for Mr. Smith, Leonard Fry, it's like, Okay, we need to see what Mr. Smith is, and we need to like do a bit of a deep dive on it. Well, now we did a deep dive, and now we did even a deeper dive, if you think about it. So, Greg, I don't know if you necessarily want to do this by yourself, but you want to play a little eBay Prices Right? Sure. All right, let's hit the music then. Is this the photo of Leonard Fry, Mr. Smith, and Bobo? No, this is even better. Looking on eBay right now, there's actually a number of products that are Mr. Smith related or Mr. Smith branded. That's right, because he had an annual, I remember. I don't have the annual, but what I do have, among other things, I have a wallet. A child's billfold or wallet with Mr. Smith on it from Paramount Pictures, 1983. And it says rare. Well, yeah, it's rare because nobody bought this thing back in 1983. Let me give you a little description about it. In very good condition, Mr. Smith Kids Wallet from the Mr. Smith TV show that aired in the 80s comes from a smoke-free environment. And 
Do you want to see a picture of this? Yeah, sure. Why is he on the phone on this wallet? I'm just the messenger. I don't know why he's on the phone. Maybe he's calling you know, somebody at the White House saying, hey, I got a good idea about uh, some foreign policy or something. I don't know. But yeah, he's on the phone. And I can't read what it says with the glare, but it looks like it's a, an actual licensed item because uh, I see a copyright on there and it says Paramount Pictures Corporation. So this isn't some fan-made thing. This is actually like the real deal, legit, something that was made in some capacity. So here's what we're going to do since Chico has left us. We're going to do clock game style, okay? All right. And we'll put 30 seconds on the clock. And the clock will start with your first bid, okay? Okay. Dollars and cents, right? Dollars and cents, yes. Okay. $15.99. Higher. $19.99. Higher. $24.99. Higher. $33.99. Higher. $49.99. Lower. $45. Lower. $40. Lower. $38. Higher. $39. Higher. $39.99. That's it. You had eight seconds left. $39.99 if you want this. But the amazing thing is, this isn't even the only licensed item that's on eBay from Mr. Smith. I see on here a pair of Mr. Smith sunglasses by Ja Ru Toys. $34.99. Wait, I didn't know Ja Rule had his own toy line before he became a rapper. I'll take it, but I meant Ja Rule. Oh. Uh, also, taking a look here at other things, Mr. Smith Lab Set, also by Ja Rule, $21.24. And another Lab Set for $9.99. And a money set. And I, apparently, looking at this, this is from Hong Kong. A money set, again, still sealed packaging, also by Ja Ru, $14.99. And one of those puzzles, uh, if you remember the puzzles where you had to move the pieces, the little squares, and there was one that was like missing. Do you remember those? The sliding puzzles? If you saw it, you know what I'm talking about. But if you want a Mr. Smith one of those, $19.99 with free shipping. But also there's photos, there's uh, transparency up there, and there's a script for the pilot. So there's a lot of Mr. Smith stuff out there. All right, now I think we can officially close the book on Mr. Smith. Wow! Now stay tuned for the animated special, The Coneheads, with the voices of your favorite personalities from Saturday Night Live. Then a killer in the wings could bring down the curtain for Manimal. Later on Love and Honor, a forbidden love drives Sergeant Allard into the arms of another woman. All on NBC. Be there.
Episode 412, submission number 671, Billy. Billy ran on ABC from January 1st to May 30th, 1992 for 13 episodes. Actually, Billy ran from January 31st, 1992 to May 30th of 1992. Now, in case you're wondering why in the last episode and in this episode I sound completely different than I'm sounding now. It's because when I recorded this episode last week when I went to Jersey, I forgot to bring my headset. So I had to settle for my Beat Studio Buds. Oh well. And I should note that this is the Billy from 1992, not the Billy with Steve Gutenberg. Yeah, but did that episode last three episodes less than Uncle Croc's Clock and the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle Show? and J.J. Starbuck, and Schooled, and the same number of aired episodes of Salvage One? Hmm? Probably not. Um, I could tell you right now, nope! That's me, Billy McGregor. I came to America from Scotland, just like Rod Stewart. I don't know what happened to him, but I teach at a community college in California. Me and America, made for each other. Until my work permit expired and I didn't know what to do. Luckily, one of my night school students had a problem too. My ex-husband left me with three beautiful children and a large mortgage. So I built this basement apartment, which is sort of illegal here in Berkeley, but I couldn't find anyone to rent it. So there we were. Two quite adorable people with big problems. And a solution. Well, it's an arrangement, actually. Now I get to stay in America. We get to keep our home. And everybody's happy. Mary. The children. And me. Maybe. That was unexpected. I mean, Billy was Scottish. You're expecting sort of a riff on uh, Scottish bagpipes. Instead, we get smooth jazz indicative of the era. It's actually an instrumental cover of an old standard I've told every little star is the name of that song. All right, let's get to the uh, meat and potatoes of this show, shall we? William Connolly was born on November 24, 1942 in Anderson, Glasgow, Scotland, the son of an engineer in the Royal Air Force and a mother who left him at age four. He spent his early adulthood in the early 60s as a boilermaker in the Glasgow shipyards, but gave it up to pursue a career as a folk singer with ribald comedic chops. He would go full bore into comedy by 1972 when he made his theatrical debut with a review called Connolly's Glasgow Flourish. According to his biography, written by his wife, SNL alum Pamela Stevenson, all he wanted out of life was to make people laugh, and for 20 solid years, He did just that, but he remains a virtual unknown in America until a 1990 HBO special, Whoopi Goldberg and Billy Connolly, in performance. A golden opportunity had opened up with the team of Rich Eustace, Michael Elias, and Warner Brothers. But before we talk about that show, we have to talk about another show. Head of the Class was coming off its fourth season, which was marked by change in the classroom at Fillmore High. Struggling to build off the creative opportunities from the opening of Season 3, which saw the class head to Russia in a landmark two-parter that may be covered in a future installment, 
There was cast turnover with Leslie Vega, Tannis Vallely, and Juri Hussein replaced by Michael DeLorenzo of New York Undercover fame, Devereaux White, Laura Piper, Rain Pryor, yes, the daughter of Richard Pryor, and Kehui Kwan. Oh, sorry. Academy Award winning actor Kehui Kwan. That's right. You show respect to the man who's going to be heading the TVA in season two of Loki. His character is actually the repair guy in the TVA, but whatever. You kind of get what I mean here. He's in Loki season two. Hey, my takeaway from this is today I learned that Billy Connolly is married to Pamela Stevenson. Oh, yeah. I was going to mention that. Still is, by the way. Good for them. And if you don't know who Pamela Stevenson is, she was a castmate in the early to mid-80s on SNL. We're talking, what, about two, three years after the Domanian era? This is talking about the Julia Louis-Dreyfus era. I think maybe she was also on the 84-85 season. Yeah, but she definitely wasn't there 85-86 when you had your Phil Hartmans and all those people came aboard. She was actually a one-season wonder. She was on the season before the season we covered, the uh, SNL 85 okay. season. But also, she was in Superman 3. I was today years old when I learned this. Yeah, she's one of Robert Vaughn's henchmen in Superman 3. We're all today years old, apparently, in the first uh, couple minutes of this episode. That's amazing. So you have all those people joining the class for senior year, which was, for reasons known only to Warners at ABC, split into two seasons. Howard Hessman, who was with the show since the beginning, left after season four, saying, quote, We're not doing the show that I was led to believe I do, and it's difficult for me to get off that. What exactly he meant by that remains a mystery to this day, and will probably continue to be a mystery because of his passing. Having seen the HBO special and its follow-up, Billy Connolly, pale blue Scottish person, Eustace and Elias made a call to Connolly to have him teach as Billy McGregor, a Scotsman in America on a work visa with many episodes focusing on his life in America and wooing Ms. Mira, the lovely Janetta Arnett, by the way. The show came to a natural end June 25th, 1991, with the class graduating and Bill Moore High raised to the ground. True story. But the powers that be wanted more Billy, so a new premise was imagined for the character. Billy moves to Berkeley, California, where he is a community college professor, marrying one of his students, Mary Springer, a single mom with several children, so he can get his green card. By the way, I should mention this is similar to, but legally distinct from, something we talked about in a previous episode I married Dora, and I should probably note again that just like in 1992 when this aired, marriages of conveniences are still very much illegal. So the marriage is arranged in order to prevent Billy from being deported back to the UK. Billy becomes Mary's boarder living in her basement apartment, which, according to the opening, is a little bit less than legal in Berkeley. But that living arrangement comes with the strictest of rules. No drinking. No smoking. No pets. And no relations? And of course, many of the uh, family comedy tropes 
are mixed in with the sort of will-they-or-won't-they chemistry between Billy, the professor, and Marie, his student. Now legally, man and wife, if only to evade the feds. Although, why would you want to send Billy McGregor back to Scotland? I mean, Berkeley's not that bad. Yeah, what's there in Scotland anyway in 1992? Uh, Gordon Ramsay. Well, David Tennant's, what, 22 at this time? Yeah, he hasn't been cast in anything international at this time, so. Yeah, that's a shame. So that's basically the story. And now, here are our players. We talked about Billy Connolly. We talked about his history. We talked about his work as a comedian and a stage actor. He plays, of course, Billy McGregor, his uh, role on Head of the Class, which carries over into the new series. One thing you probably don't know, he joined the Territorial Army in the Parachute Regiment at around the same time that he was a welder. Oh. He was also in The Humble Bums, which is a band where he played the banjo, and one of his bandmates was Jerry Rafferty. Speaking of the king of the sexy sax, you know, Baker Street. Oh, that guy. Yep, that guy. Playing his student and now wife, Mary, is Marie Marshall, a native of Dallas, Texas, and a veteran of such shows as Babylon 5, Star Trek The Next Generation, Law & Order SBU, and Early Edition. She was also on an episode of Two Guys, a Girl, in a Pizza Place, Future Entry. Notice we're not talking about Two Guys and a Girl, because that lasted considerably longer. Although, technically, they're both the same show. And it's airing on Maximum Effort. Gee, I wonder why it's airing on Maximum Effort. <laughs> Right before she got cast for Billy, she played Melinda on an episode of Wings. Oh, man. Can you guys believe that it's now been 112 episodes since I mentioned for the first time ever on this podcast I love Wings? Seems like only yesterday, doesn't it? And now we get into the kids. Playing middle child Laura McGregor, all of 10 years old, is Natanya Ross, who was a that teenager from that thing in the 90s, but played Robin Russo in 43 episodes of The Secret World of Alex Mack, which I didn't even know had more than 43 episodes. I didn't know that lasted more than three seasons. I'm not surprised. I thought it ran uh, for a number of episodes, more than, say, what, 40 episodes or so. Not necessarily four seasons, but... I thought it was uh, definitely a, one of the longer-running uh, shows that you would have seen on SNCC at that point. Playing youngest daughter Annie is Clara Bryant, who wasn't in much of anything as of late. She was in an episode of Numbers. She was in an episode of Hack. She was in five episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, as somebody named it to Molly from 2002. But yeah, that's pretty much all she wrote for her career. I mean, she hasn't acted in anything since 2007, and after she finished shooting her last role, Bone Eater, 
that's the name of the feature, Bone Eater. She decided to retire from acting. She graduated from Georgia Law School and Columbia University. So she is a genius. Does that make her an SEC legend if she graduated from Georgia? Yes, it does. Also makes her an Ivy League legend. Hey, Georgia legend, just like Nick Chubb. Adding an edit here that I didn't necessarily want to add. Don't watch Nick Chubb's injury on Monday Night Football. It's ugly. It's sad. Had to get a Browns reference in there. They won last week. I get you. Hey, he's no Stetson Bennett. And rounding out the cast as David, 14 years old, Johnny Galecki, known for playing David Healy, who is Sarah Gilbert's boyfriend on Roseanne, the third Rusty Griswold from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, and little show from 2006, you may have heard of it, The Big Bang Theory. He's been playing Leonard Hofstetter for 280 episodes over 13 years. That's amazing. And that is going to be his legacy. No, his legacy is going to be that one-seated Christmas vacation. Mike, you know what I'm talking about, right? Tell everybody. I know what you're talking about, but please expound for the audience. Oh, oh the lingerie scene from Christmas Vacation. Yes, that that is... Maybe the best scene in Christmas Vacation. I'm sorry. I know there's better ones, but look on Clark's face. And Clark is looking uh, at uh, the uh, perfume girl hiking her skirt up to show uh, where the panty line is, how high it goes up her thigh. Classic. Definitely one of those defining moments I remember seeing in the movie theater when I was 14 years old. So here's our newly minted family unit. Billy's trying to be the good father the adequate husband, at least Brichelle. And everybody's just trying to get along, you know, until they're ultimately found out. Would they ever be found out? Let's look at the episodes and take a look. We start, as always, with The Pilot. A year after Billy McGregor left Millard Fillmore High School and head of the class, he moves to Berkeley to get married and get a green card. Episode 2, Hot Stuff. Billy tries to trick David into quitting smoking. He's 14! What is he doing smoke? Oh, he's supposed to be a bad guy. Wait, is this the same Johnny Galecki who played the boyfriend on Roseanne who was a badass himself? Yes. This is like preparation. He's getting ready to ascend to that role when he goes to uh, to, to Roseanne and uh, not that long. I mean, it was what? Uh, probably the same year, 93-ish or 92-ish? Yeah. Because he definitely played an older teenager, so it rates. He would have been like 16, 17 at this point. Here we are introduced to one of Mary's friends and or classmates, a lady by the name of Shayna, played by Maureen Mueller, who seemingly has a bit of the uh, shine to Billy. It's like, okay, you guys are married, but you're not sleeping together? Can I have him? As if this arrangement couldn't get weird enough. But she is a known actress. She plays Dr. Deirdre Bennett in Dr. Doctor 
which we may or may not cover in a future entry. Oh, we are going to cover it. Trust me, we are going to cover it. Of course, we need to talk about Matt Frewer at some point. And the thing is, anybody listening to this podcast younger than maybe about 35 is like, why do you need to talk about Matt Frewer? Oh, listen here, kid. You weren't here in the 80s when Matt Frewer had an alter ego who was very popular. Very, 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 very. Oh, jeez. No. Are you really going to give it away? Okay. Very, very, very popular. Why would I even give it away? Why would we give away in a future entry? Entry, entry. Catch the wave. That's staying in, by the way. Oh, my gosh. You two talking over each other doing your max headrooms. Oh, my gosh. Hey, hey, Greg, I thought we were really good. You were good, 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 good. But no, that's staying in. That, I, that, that is great how you guys are sort of doing battling Max Headrooms there. So this Marine Mueller, lovely lady, she is still working. Her latest entry was in an episode of FBI Most Wanted and five episodes playing three different characters on Law & Order SVU, which I have started watching semi-religiously they caught me at the episode where chris maloney gets shot after spending the night with mariska hargitay oh no why would anyone want to shoot him it's a long story and it involves uh russian terrorists so. oh or christopher maloney episode three parenting 101 billy and mary's ideas about parenting Dipper. Speaking of SNL alums, we were. Yeah, we talked about Pamela Stevenson earlier, and this person worked with Pamela Stevenson. Playing Phoebe Trillman, Mary Gross. She of the 81 to 85 class on SNL. She played Alfalfa in the Little Rascal sketches. Okay. No, that's Buckwheat. That's Eddie Murphy. Wait, did she sing the Barber of Seville at some point? No, that's Eddie Murphy, dude. No, Alfalfa's gimmick on our gang was he sang the Barber of Seville in that one episode. She might have. All I know is, she shot Buckwheat. That's right. Buckwheat dead, America mourns. I'm still wondering if Charles Rocket found out who that uh, effing bastard was that shot him. Oh, that was the previous season. I'm sorry. That's probably the reason we got Mary Gross in the first place, because Charles Rocket shot off his mouth. Go back to that episode if you want to know what he said. 97. 
I think people know what he said, given what I just stated. Playing Giselle, Kathy Wagner. Not a known actress, but she was on a season of Undressed on MTV. And before that, a year before that, she played the role of Susan Dye. Is it Day or Dot? Susan Is this Day. Day, or Day. Okay. Do you not know classic television? Why are you here? I know too many days, okay? Too many days, too many days. She played the role of Susan Day in Come On, Get Happy, The Partridge Family Story. Oh, I remember that. So do I. I gotta say, MTV's undressed. I gotta be honest. For a kid at 16 like me, that was like... I'm dead. I'm sorry. Continue. It was like, oh yeah, baby, it's time for Undressed. That's all I needed to hear from you, is I want to talk about Undressed as a 16-year-old boy. Boing! All I remember is tuning into one season, seeing Sarah Lancaster, who I just saw on an episode of Safe by the Fell, the new class, and all I can say is, Rachel's gonna have sex with somebody. Wait, are we not going to talk about the one episode Christina Hendricks was in? Yes. That may be a future. It was a thing on TV Presents. The episode with Christina Hendricks. Man, now I want to see it. I want to know what Christina <laughs> Hendricks did. Dang. I thought all she was known for uh, before she was on that one show was uh, the episode of Married with Children where she played a uh, like a laboratory assistant uh Oh my gosh, when uh, Bud uh, did some sort of science experiment uh, to see if virtual reality, let's say, increased a, a man's libido, if he went into a uh, virtual reality world and met the woman of his dreams, and let's just say, very tongue-in-cheek, things got sticky. Episode 4, Poker Face, Billy and Mary go to a movie. And we have Mary Gross and Maureen Mueller returning as Phoebe and Shayna. But we also have, playing a guy by the name of Schwartzy, Alex Polinski, who you would remember from every season after the first one of Charles in Charge. Ah, uh, you know what that means? If he was on every season of Charles in Charge after season one, in the Venn diagram of Charles in Charge, Alexander Polinsky, and Jamie Widows do not overlap. Is that really going to be my takeaway out of this? Is that Alexander Polinsky on Charles in Charge did not work with Jamie Widows? Nowadays, primarily known as a voice actor, he voices Control Freak on Teen Titans Go. Oh, I love Teen Titans Go. Oh, so you're the one. Hey, did you see Teen Titans Go the movies? Very meta that movie was. Oh, that was the funniest damn movie DC's ever done, and that's saying a lot. Episode 5, Billy Gets the Bird. Hold on, Billy Gets the Bird? Did he get the bird from the same guy that flipped Zach Wilson after that one interception on Monday night? Opposite coast. Oh, I thought you were going to say, sent the same guy who gave the bird to Peter Griffin. What? Bird, bird, bird. Bird is the word. Never mind. No. 
hey, I can get away with that joke since they ended up winning that damn game. Mary realizes Billy's value to the kids. That's it? That's all <laughs> Google's giving me. Wait, his value to the kids is giving him the bird? Dad, is that how you really think about us? Hey, I do want to give one recurring character. First appeared in the previous episode, but apparently playing Mary Gross's husband in this series, Norman Trillman, is Peter Vogt. Not really well known for anything, but he was on six episodes of Head of the Class as Mr. Dorfman. He looks like a Mr. Dorfman. Apologies to Peter Vogt if you happen to be listening. Episode 6. Give me some credit. Gee, I wonder what this episode's about. (laughs) Mary's marriage to Billy ruins her credit rating. Okay, so it was adjacent to what I was thinking. Thinking about Billy maybe getting a credit card, but nope. We're learning about financial literacy in this episode, apparently. No, giving him a credit card, that's a trope that's been overused. At least it's a little different. Yeah, and it was done a lot on What a Country. Remember that one episode? <laughs> he off the credit card. Yes, and now do your rendition of the theme song. I want to be an American. In America, right on me. All right, so in this episode, we have a guy by the name of Siegfried, played by Art LaFleur, best known for being in Cobra, The Sandlot, The Blob, and Field of Dreams. Who'd he play in Field of Dreams? He played Chick Gandal, first base. He was also the Tooth Fairy in The Santa Claus 2. <laughs> the Santa Claus 2? A role that would be later played by Dwayne Johnson, believe it or not. Sadly, no longer with us. Oh. And playing Roy in this episode, John Del Reno, who was in two episodes of Mike Hammer Private Eye and two episodes of Remington Steel. And one episode, can't believe I'm about to say this. Of Tim and Eric, awesome show, great job. Episode 7, Feudal Attraction. That's resistance is feudal. Yeah, we get it. A classmate's professed feelings for Mary spark Billy's. Oh my god. Playing the classmate, a man by the name of Irwin, Andrew Hill Newman, who is a character actor. He specializes in playing scrawny nerds, but perhaps he was at his scrawniest in the only 80s movie that matters and its lackluster sequel, 1987's Mannequin. Oh, Mannequin. He's had relatively more success behind the scenes being a producer on 11 episodes of All That, and also being an executive producer on Celebrity Poker Showdown, if you remember that on Bravo 20 years ago-ish. I love that show. It was a great show. Absolutely. Take all the fun of poker, put celebrities in the mix. Bravo in the 2000s was awesome. Episode 8, Billy 
Flunks Mary. Billy may flunk Mary over a Tennyson poem. That's it? That's what it says on Google. On IMDb, it says, The ex-husband of Billy's wife, Mary, returns from Australia. Oh, could you imagine an Australian and a Scotsman fighting over the same girl? That's not going to work. That's like oil and water, baby. Episode 9. Out all night. David stands in line all night for concert tickets and gets arrested. Uh Uh-oh. 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 Episode 10. Home Alone. Almost. With the kids away, Billy and Mary think romance. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on one second. If I'm not mistaken, that is a violation of their oral contract that they agreed to in the pilot. Hold on. You said oral contract. Ew. Damn it, Greg! No! No! No, we're doing so well. They're having relations and it's an oral contract? Uh-huh. Oh, my God. Greg said it, not me. I tried stopping him. No, Chico said it first. But, Greg, you went down that road first, and I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't go there. And you just plowed on through. I'm just saying he said it first. And I tried stopping you, but that didn't work. You ran right through the stop sign. I was thrown at by a mile at home plate. It was like Ruben Rivera running the bases that one time. Whoa. Whoa. Wait, did you just make a Ruben Rivera reference? Yes. The pitch. Swing and there's a shot deep in the right center. Racing back to Lucci. Still going back into Death Valley. It goes right over his glove. He missed it. But Ruben Rivera missed second base. Now he's heading for third and they're going to throw him out by plenty. But the throw to third is botched. Now he's heading home. The loose ball in the infield. And he's out by five feet at the plate. And that was the worst base running in the history of the game. The game should be over, and Ruben Rivera just did the the worst base running you will ever see. Unbelievable. Dang, Greg with the deep cut. Now things are about to get saucy. Episode 11, Love Me or Leave Me, Part 1. Billy and Mary decide to spend the weekend together. Absolutely nothing can happen out of this. Interesting note here. One of the writers of this episode, April Kelly, who would go on to, alongside Michael Jacobs, create a favorite of ours, Boy Meets World. Oh, you won't say anything about Boy Meets World, but you'll talk about that oral contract. Okay. (laughs) Hold on a second, Mike. I heard that the great takeout business in Philadelphia deals with a lot of oral contracts. Episode 12. Oh, by the way, the sound's going in there. (laughs) I I, I just didn't want to say, I didn't want to draw any attention to the sound being in there. So, yeah, good job, Greg. I figure you do a good takeout business. Good takeout business. Yeah, we do a good takeout business. Takeout business. (laughs) Episode 12. Love Me or Leave Me, Part 2. Billy 
finally gets his green card, which poses a romantic dilemma. Does he really want to stay in this for the long haul for Mary's sake? Or is he getting out with his green card? Because now he has his green card. He's free to do whatever with whoever. And speaking of whatevers and whoevers, we have the return of Mary Gross, Marie Mueller, Kathy Wagner, Peter Vogt, and two mimes. And that leads us to the final episode, Thunder from Down Under. Mary's ex-husband leaves a message on the family answering machine that he's coming to town and would like to visit. This raises all kinds of feelings in the family. The two young daughters are looking forward to seeing their dad again. The younger of the two has a dream that he's going to bring her back a kangaroo. The son, David, is certain that he's only going to disappoint them again. He had a habit of not showing up for things that he said he would attend. And Mary just wants to show him up and make him eat his heart out with what he's missing out on. Billy isn't entirely sure himself how he feels, but it all comes spilling out when he mistakes a visiting INS agent dropping by for a home visit for the ex-husband. This ends up being good for Billy as the INS agent is convinced that no one in a fraudulent marriage could have such strong feelings for his wife. So that is the show. And for what it ran, it got a very plush time slot. It aired at 9.30 following Family Matters, Step by Step, and Perfect Strangers. And this was Perfect Strangers' final season. No, it would be the penultimate season for Perfect Strangers. Oh, oh that's right, because it had that one weird final season in the summer of 93. Bingo! But looking at our friends at TV Tango, it did not follow the standard TGIF lineup that season. Family Matters was on at 8 o'clock when it premiered. And it did win the night. But then you had Capital Critters, which is a future entry. Baby Talk, which is a future entry. And then Billy. Wow, what winners after Family Matters. Hey, say what you will, but they did end up winning the night because... um. Mostly because of 2020 and Family Matters. I'm not even going to lie here. Well, NPH did do a voice on Capital Critters, so maybe it was the NPH factor also. It always goes back to Neil Patrick Harris, doesn't it? Maybe that's what the reboot of Doogie Kamei Aloha was missing. Stupid idiots at Disney Plus canceled the show, and I'm still bitter about it. Thank you very much. Now, the next week... It would hold steady, but we would have Family Matters and then Step by Step, followed by Baby Talk and then Billy. And then, oh dear, nobody is beating the Winter Olympics. Well, that did it. That did it. Everyone wanted to watch Tim McCarver host the Winter Olympic coverage, and that was it. But it did get some of its audience back by episode six, especially given that it was up against the likes of Sightings, I'll Fly Away, and Tequila and Benetti. Yes, Tequila and Benetti. But it continued being sort of the weak link of the TGIF lineup to the point where they actually moved it to a new 
ABC programming block. I love Saturday night. You remember I love Saturday night, right? No, I don't remember I love Saturday night. It was supposed to be the Saturday version of TGIF. Everyone goes out on Saturday nights. Who the f*** is watching TV on a Saturday night? I don't know. On the I Love Saturday Night block, you have Who's the Boss, then Billy, then Perfect Strangers, then a repeat of Growing Pains, and they ride out the night with the commish. Oh, okay. So you get Michael Chickles at the end. But you're not beating NBC on Saturday night. You're not beating oh, the Golden Girls. You're not beating Empty Nest. You're not being nurses. Nurses? Nurses. And you know what? They could put a steaming pile of crap in between the Golden Girls and Empty Nest, and it will get rid. Oh, look, the powers that be. My point exactly. Wait, I don't see Vince Russo on this show. But yeah, after 13 episodes, ABC didn't want any more, and the show was canceled. It has not been released on any media, and only a select handful of episodes have survived on VHS to be uploaded to the four winds of the internet, if you can find them. There's at least one on YouTube. Don't cry for anybody on this show. Billy Connolly, doing fine. He actually got a commander of the British Empire, and he retired from acting, and he actually has a bit of a serious side, too. Nowadays, he can be seen living in Florida. He's published an autobiography, Windswept and Interesting, in October 2021, and in 2022, received a BAFTA fellowship in celebration of his five-decade-long career. So, congratulations to him. Of course, we know what the kids are doing, and we know what his wife is doing. Nobody's career was damaged by this show, and in any other lineup, it probably would have stood a chance. Because, hey... It's Billy Connolly. He's that darn likable. But ABC just could not find a place for him. And at the end of the season, he became just a thing on TV. But guys, I found something online. It's sexy sex time, y'all. Oh, no. What could you find from this? Well, I guess we'll find out. This is an Etsy portrait of Billy Connolly as he exists today. Can I proactively bid one penny? You can. <laughs> Ain't gonna do me much good, though. No, not really. Have you seen any of the crap people make on Etsy? I have, actually. I have the description of the item from Etsy from user the Art Bank GB. A portrait of Billy Connolly in dots using colored pen on A3 Bristol board paper will be signed on purchase. Oh, so this will be signed on purchase. Okay. And 
just so we are clear, you are bidding on the actual price, not the shipping. Mike, why don't you bid first? Can I still bid a penny? Not sure how that'll help you, but okay. No, no, no. Does it say what the dimensions of this are? It does not. Asking for a ruling before I uh, give my uh, bid. May I see what Bristol Board A3 is if it gives dimensions? Yes. Okay. So Google says that the standard size of Bristol Board is... Oh, gosh. You're making me do math? Really? Oh, no. You know, we talk about how IMDB is kind of screwed up. Google is sort of screwed up because it says... It looks like it says 221 divided by 2 inches. But no, I see what it means. So the common size of Bristol Board according to Google, is 22 and a half inches by 28 and a half inches. So it's a big boy. It's it, it's a good-sized portrait, and that actually does influence my bid. I'm going to say $80. $80? Uh, Greg, what do you say? $85. You've both overbid. I don't know if we should be upset about that or happy. <laughs> I wouldn't spend $80 on that. I'm glad no Greg would spend 85. All right, let's drop the bid down to $50. $50, Greg? $1, Bob. Thank you for putting us out of our misery. $1, says Greg. The actual Etsy price for this Bristol board painting of Billy Connolly should have one-upped him, Greg. It was $64.82. Why? That's all I'm asking. Why? He's a Scottish treasure, Mike. That's why. But the picture looks like it was done by a third grader. That doesn't even look like Billy Connolly, to be honest. Hold on. Would you want to have, like, a Bristol board painting of this or of the Leprechaun sketch drawing? <laughs> Can I choose neither? And she goes take the leprechaun sketch drawing. Oh my. I think it's a nice looking painting myself. I really I, do. I'm sorry, it does not look like Billy Connolly even like 30 years ago. Have you seen Billy Connolly now? I have. He kind of looks like uh, Tony Dow meets Colonel Sanders almost. <laughs> now I wish. We had gotten a Colonel Sanders at before he died of Tony Dow. That's a whole new recipe for seduction. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for this episode. But remember, you can always go to our website over at ItWasAThingOnTV.com where you can listen to the 411 episodes that preceded this one. Got all sorts of great bonuses there, including minisodes, live shows, extended versions of previous episodes, the whole works. Also, remember, we're on all social media, including Instagram, Threads, Mastodon, over at It Was A Thing On TV, except for Facebook, where we are at It Was A Thing On TV Podcast. Remember, subscribe to the podcast wherever fine podcasts can be streamed. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeart, Audible, wherever fine podcasts can be streamed. And don't forget, we are also on YouTube, where you can like and subscribe to our channel, and don't forget to hit the notification bell so you can stay informed on all future uploads, including what's coming up on the podcast next time.
So what's coming up next on the podcast, Mike? If you remember, oh, this is probably about a year ago or so, maybe a little bit more, we did Shuckapalooza, which I thought was great. We have the spiritual successor to Shuckapalooza next week. Not going to involve John Shuck, but it's going to involve a person equally as legendary. We've never talked about this person on the podcast before, I don't believe. Not even in guest starring roles. And we're going to talk about this person on two shows next week. Well-known name, somebody that really hasn't had much of a career, to be honest, since like the early 90s, late 80s, but a name nonetheless. So that's going to be great. We're going to cover two shows from this person. Highly requested. I know people have asked at least for one of these uh, shows to be covered, if not both. So you're going to get your wish next week. And all of that is beginning next time right here on It Was A Thing On TV. For Greg, for Mike, I'm Chico. Thank you ever so much for listening. Please be kind to one another, and we will see you for the next one. Show your teenage son you love him. Go. Give him a big hug. Firm handshake. A kiss. Play catch in the front lawn. Say I love you. Give the boy some space. Spend quality oh, time with him. brilliant and smother him completely. Oh, Wrong. You buy him a brand new motorcycle. Oh, brilliant. Billy is coming to TGIF this Friday. And